You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are going to continue on in our Acts series today. If you're new with us, we're just looking through the book of Acts, kind of going piece by piece through it. A couple um, weeks ago, we talked about money and mission. We're, we, essentially, what we're doing here is we're taking mission, the, the, the big theme of Acts that Jesus in the Gospels started this mission to seek and save those who are far from him. And then, and then the book of Acts is the continuation of that. And so we've talked about different ways that we as a church can really kind of center our lives around this mission that um, Jesus is a part of. And, and today we'll continue that on. But just the, the thought of mission itself. I know for me, when I hear the word mission, what comes into my ears is kind of like 007, Mission Impossible, like, you know, Agent 007, your mission. That's a bad impersonation. But anyway, I know that's what comes into my mind. I know as a kid growing up, I, I loved any task, any opportunity I had to do something that was challenging, that um, could potentially be dangerous. I just kind of made my blood pump a little bit. And um, there's something about guys that are just like that, I think. If you've ever been to our uh, men's conference, you, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. T.J. Dotson's over here, and the guy's just a, kind of a horse when it comes to wrestling. We had some, you know, some wrestling in our men's conference last year and some, some other things. We're doing a few competitive activities, um, and, and for whatever reason, men, when competition comes out, just come alive. You know, I, I think it's something God's put in us. I don't think it's completely bad. Sometimes we can get, you know, a little crazy with it, but something about just going face-to-face with someone else with the goal of conquering is really brings you to life. And um, that's why wives, if you want to get your husbands to do chores, you, um, you know, you don't just say, hey, honey, help me with the laundry, but you say, you know, we've got four loads of laundry, and I'm pretty sure I could do like three loads in the time you do one. You up for the challenge, dude, or what? And I mean, when they do that, I'm in, you know, when Rebecca does that, I'm all in because I got to win. There's something in me that has to win. And it's not just men. I think it's ladies as well. I mean, I I think there's something within all of us that kind of is that fire within. It's kind of that rabbit that won't quit. You know, we we really want to make something of our lives. We we really don't want to be in a a menial job. We don't want to be doing something that's, that's... not accomplishing something. We, we want to make an impact, right? We want to make a dent. We want, to, we want to do something that affects change. We want to do something that changes the, that, that changes the history of time, right? We want, to, we want to press into something that really is, in a sense, a mission. And there's a lot of good missions that we could be a part of. There's missions to feed the hungry. There's missions to bring peace and justice to those who are afflicted. There's missions to stop wars. There's, I mean, there's missions for racial tensions to dissolve. There's a lot of good missions that we could get on board with. But, but really what we've been looking at in this Acts series is that there is no greater mission. There's, there's no greater call. There's nothing more worthy of our time. There's nothing more worthy of our heart. There's nothing more worthy of our passion than this mission that Jesus has called us to be on, this mission to see the lost saved, 
This mission to see those who are far from God, who, who, have, been, who have been in darkness for years, come home to God, be at home in his presence, to know him, to know his love. That's, that's why we're here as a church. That's why John Lanferman and Linda planted this church 15 plus years ago, because they, they felt in God this joining of this mission to come to St. Louis and see many people come to know Jesus. That's why we're sitting here today. That's why we're in this room, because people felt in God, and we want to join up with this mission. And, and our heart in this series is that we as a church, each and every one of us individually, would come together and say, okay, God, here's my money, here's my time, here's my life, here's my, here's my activities, everything that I have, I want to just push it, I want to push all my chips in on this. I want to push all my chips in on fulfilling this great mission that you've called me to. And just like any mission, it's, it's not um, always easy. It's not handed to us freely, but it costs us something. And what we're looking at today is going to be mission and persecution. That when we go on this mission, when we follow Jesus into this mission, we will face opposition in that. If you think about it, it's like we're an army. We're the army of the Lord. And we're going into enemy territory where person after person is held in bondage by our enemy. Where person after person has their arms tied behind their back and they're slaves to this enemy who's conquering their life, who's dominating their life, who's keeping them in darkness, who's keeping them in torment. And, and we, as this army, are pressing in and saying, no, we're here to see slaves set free. We're here to see the captives released. We're here to see people brought into the freedom and the joy of, of living with God, of being in fellowship with God. And, and to think that we would get in that and that we would get through that without hitting some opposition would be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? It'd be nuts. When I first became a Christian, I kind of thought it would be like lollipops and unicorns. You know, just be happy-go-lucky. It'd be rainbows everywhere. I, I kind of had this idea that happiness was the goal of Christianity. Jesus made me happy. Jesus brought happiness to me, and my sins being forgiven made me happy. But shortly after that, I learned, okay, this isn't all lollipops and unicorns, but there's actually some things to be pressed through here. There's a life with God that's worth fighting for. There's a life with God that's worth pressing into, and actually this mission causes us to do that as well. So one of the first things I want to look at is that advancing the kingdom requires us to face opposition. And really, that starts with understanding that the Christian life is a battle. So we're not just kind of in this thing, and there's no, but, but there's an enemy of our souls that's pressing against us. There's an enemy of our souls that we're fighting against. And when we do go to set people free, we are fighting a real enemy. And, and, and I want to look at who we're fighting and how we're fighting them. Paul says in the book of Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus says that his church is not a gated community seeking to protect itself, but it's a church that is pressing against the gates of hell and that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What this means is that we're on offense, right? What this means is that we're not on defense. We're not seeking to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves to... We're not, we're not this church that's, okay, we're just going to keep all evil out. We're going to keep all bad people out, right? Because I mean, first of all, we realize like not all of us are all that good in the first place. Um, but we're a church that's seeking to press against the gates of hell. 
We're a church that's seeking to go into the dark places and push back darkness so his kingdom can come. That's what happened to Stephen in this story, is he was pressing against the gates of hell because he was allowing the kingdom of God to come into his life. If there's one thing you notice about gates, it's that gates aren't on the move, right? Gates aren't like a truck advancing. Gates are to protect and to keep in. So the enemy of our souls is has people in bondage. He has people bound up. He has people trapped. And he's, keeping, he's seeking to keep it like that. Right? So we as a church don't have this mindset of, oh, I'm just always trying to fight off the enemy and I'm always trying to keep the enemy out. And I'm always kind of trying to pray to keep myself safe and to keep myself, you know, from these bad spiritual things. But no, 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 we're on the offense. Right? So we're, our prayers, our actions, our thoughts are lining up to press against the gates of hell. So we don't pray defensive prayers that often. We pray offensive prayers. We don't pray prayers of, oh, God, protect our kingdom. No, we say, oh, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We're not praying, oh, God, keep me safe. I pray that sometimes, but that's not the predominant prayer that we have. Predominant prayer we have is, God, those who aren't safe, help us come and rescue them. We don't thank defensive thoughts, so we're not thinking, how can I keep life most comfortable? How can I keep life the nicest? How can I enjoy life the fullest? How can I make it more about me? I don't know. We're thinking offensive thoughts. God, you've given me this amount. You've given me this time, this energy, this money. How can I make the most of that for your kingdom? How can I advance the kingdom the most with what you've given me? We're also not having defensive actions but we're having offensive actions. One of the greatest joys of being in this battle is that we know we're on the winning team. So before we even start jumping into battle, we know, okay, we've already won this thing. Jesus, before he makes his speech to the disciples in Matthew 28, he starts his, he, he says this speech about, guys, go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, teach them all that I've commanded you. But he starts it with, hey guys, just a heads up, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'll never leave you, never free. Hey, head, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What he's saying is you're on the winning team. He's answering our questions before we ever ask it. He, he commands us, go make disciples of all nations. And, and, and the thing that pops up into our mind is how are we going to do that? We're sheep among wolves. We're weak. We're vulnerable. We get beat up. My emotions get messed up all the time. My thoughts get messed up all the time. God, how am I going to handle this? Well, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we go out knowing that we're going to win. Like I said, we need to know who we're battling against. It's not flesh and blood. It's not people that we're battling against, but it's spiritual powers. This can be difficult to recognize in the moment, especially when it's people that we feel are opposed to us. I know for me, um, you know, when a coworker... I mean, not now because I work in the church, so. Um, but, I mean, guys, coworkers sometimes, I mean, knock you right on the chin. You can hear people whispering little things maybe about, oh, yeah, he's got his Bible out again, or oh, he's always talking about Jesus. Or That's not easy to deal with. It's not easy in that moment to realize, okay, this is spiritual forces of darkness that work against me, and not just that guy's a jerk. Right? Or when people have a party and you're not invited to it because you don't, because you have different value system. People who you thought were your friends end up saying something against you. 
Just like Stephen, they made up lies about him. It's hard in that moment to realize, okay, this is spiritual forces of darkness against me. And not to think, I don't want to put up with these people anymore. Now, there are times where we can have opposition against us, but it's just because we're a jerk. It's not because spiritual forces of darkness are against us, right? I mean, as a Christian, we got to take a reality check here and realize sometimes we can be too uptight. Sometimes we can miss it. Sometimes we can be just kind of preachy, preachy, preachy and not really loving people, not really being a light in the midst of darkness, but just trying to force ourselves on people. And if that's the case, you know what? That's all right. We can apologize. We can go to those people and make that right and then start moving in the right direction. So it's not, I mean, we want to balance this out. It's not always spiritual forces of darkness against us when we feel opposition, but reality is sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. And when we do suffer for his name because we're following him, when we're rejected because we're loving him, it's important for us to realize that it's the enemy of our souls against us. It's not just people. I know for me, I get an angry at injustice that I see on the news. So when I see, when I see women who are raped or child, children who are beaten and I see elder, elderly people aren't treated right, it, something within me gets infuriated. Something within me wants to rip something to shred. Something within me wants to fight against that. There's an injustice that I'm seeing that makes me, I think, righteously angry. And, and, and really what is making me angry is that people are doing evil things against someone, one, who didn't deserve it, and two, who had no power to fight back. I mean, that's, that's probably why we get so mad about when people do things to kids. It's because a kid has no power to fight back. But if we believe our Bibles, if we believe Ephesians 2.1, which tells us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked, meaning that we were at the bottom of the ocean dead, it's not that we were, had some power to fight against sin. It's not that we had some power to not live the way we were living. No, we were dead in our sin. We were slaves to our sin. We didn't need, just need someone to throw us a life vest so we could grab onto it. No, we needed someone to reach down and bring a dead guy to life. And we, if we believe that, what that means is that these people that sometimes we face opposition with, the reality is they're they're dead in their sin. The reality is that if, if someone doesn't know Jesus and, and they're they're, they're responding in a way that isn't. It's, it's because, actually, we can be bound up and slave to sin. The story I read earlier about a man named Stephen continues on. This man who was preaching Jesus and doing miracles, he was eventually held on trial for what he believed. And, and when they asked him, you know, are these things true about you, he stood up and gave a speech in which he preached to the crowd. And, and the response to his preach where he's trying to turn these people away from wickedness and turn them to follow God. His response, the response to the preach is that they got infuriated at him. They started chasing after him. They picked up stones and started throwing stones at him. And, and eventually he was stoned to death. But just before he was stoned to death, he cried out. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin Against them. The only reason he could possibly say that is because he realized this thing about them being dead in their sin. The only reason he could possibly say that is because he realized, God, these people are trapped in darkness. These people aren't just people who are against me and stoning me because they don't like what I said, but these people, these men, are trapped in darkness. The enemy of my soul, the enemy of their souls, has them bound up in chains. And, and the reason they're fighting against me is because I'm coming against their slavery. I'm coming against 
the one who's keeping them, and the one who's keeping them is pushing back on me. So the reason he could say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do, is because he realized that. And because he realized that, he had compassion on them. I don't know about you, but I don't always respond like that. When someone's pressing against me or something's pressing against me, I don't always respond with, Lord, forgive them. They know that, not what they do. And I think that's because I, I'm not realizing this. I think it's because I'm not realizing what's going on behind the scenes. I'm just seeing it with my own eyes that someone doesn't like me or someone's not responding appropriately to me. I remember when I was in college, I, I, I um, had some friends that I hung out with pretty often, and, and, and we were close. But, but when I was sitting at the lunch table and I'd start having a conversation with someone about Jesus or I'd bring up things of faith, I noticed people kind of turn away from me, you know? And kind of, okay, I don't want to be a part of this conversation. I want to be, you know, kind of looking away. And oftentimes I could feel rejected at that. Or I could feel rejected at not being invited to the party or not being included because of my faith. Because, I mean, you know how it is in college. It's oftentimes the thing is not to be going for God, but the thing is to be drinking and partying and doing the whole gig. And that was difficult for me sometimes. And sometimes I'd get angry at people. And I wish I would have seen this sooner, that the, the thing that's going on behind the scenes is actually that people are being held in darkness. It's also encouraging what Jesus tells us about sometimes being rejected for our faith is a sign that we're on the right track. Sometimes being pressed against is a sign that we're on the right track. He says in John fifteen eighteen, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So being disliked for our faith isn't always a bad thing. We've got this thing where we kind of want to be cool and we want to fit in and we want to be a part. Sometimes saying yes to God means giving that up. It may actually mean that we're becoming more like Jesus. So we need to know who we're fighting against. We also need to know what weapons we have available to us. I know if I'm going to go into battle, and I know I'm going into battle, and I'm prepping to go into battle, I'm not just going to show up, right? I'm not just going to show up and be like, oh, man, I've got my hands in my fists, and these guys have swords. I'm in trouble. No, if I, if I know I'm going into battle, and I'm getting ready to fight, I'm going to be looking for everything that I can possibly get, right? And so Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, guys, you've got to take up the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. And then the rest of Ephesians 6, he tells us what the armor of God is, what this armor is that we can take up and we can put on and we can prep for battle. And he gives us defensive weapons and he gives us offensive weapons. He tells us about these weapons God has given us. So to start with the defensive one, he starts with the belt of truth. Now the belt of truth, truth is, we can think truth is our Bible, but but. But the reality is that the Bible brings us to the truth. The truth is a person named Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The beauty of the Bible is that the Bible is God's word, which he's spoken, and it reveals Jesus to us. So strapping on the belt of truth, it means coming to Jesus. It means coming to the Bible. It means knowing him as he really is. And the thing about the armor that Paul's talking about, this Roman armor, is that the belt held everything else on together. So if you were going to keep your breastplate on, if you're going to keep your, if you if, if you're going to keep your everything you wanted to keep on, all the armor that you wanted to keep on yourself, you had to have your belt. If you didn't have your belt, the rest was going to fall off. So this is why it's the first thing Paul mentions to us: have on the belt of truth. 
So this means knowing Jesus. It means knowing his word. It means being well-seasoned in his word. It means knowing him as he really is. It's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, how are we doing with our belt? Are we wearing our belt? Do we have it tightened up? Is it off in the corner? Have we forgotten it? When's the last time you picked up your belt? How's it going with you, strapping on the belt of truth? Is that a daily practice? Is that something that I, I got to make sure my belt's secure? It keeps us. Paul goes on to say the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers our heart, covers our organs. It's a vulnerable area, isn't it? I know for me, my, my heart, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, it's vulnerable for me. It's the place that, can com- that the enemy can come in and, and lie to me. He can come in and say to me, hey, you're not all that great. God's not pleased with you. Why do you keep messing up? Why aren't you? This is a huge thing for me. A few years ago, I felt God show me. I was believing the lie that I wasn't sharing my faith enough. And that because I wasn't sharing my faith enough, God wasn't happy with me. So I was always trying to strive to share my faith more so that God would be happy with me. The breastplate of righteousness tells me that I'm already righteous. That Jesus already loves me. That I can't do anything to become better in his eyes and I can't do anything to become worse in his eyes. So when I strap on the the breastplate of righteousness, it actually frees me to want to tell other people about him. Because I'm not always wondering, did I mess that up? Did I do good enough? Is God happy with me? Have I pleased him enough yet? Have I shared enough yet? Oh, I have to do it today because otherwise I'm failing God. No, no, no. He loves me. He's for me. I'm righteous because I'm in him. Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. Breastplate of righteousness is so important for us. Paul goes on to say, the shield of faith, which extinguishes the flaming darts of the enemy. The shield of faith. Now, these flaming darts would, would stick into the shield, catch it on fire, ruin the shield. So our faith can be ruined by these flaming darts. Maybe these flaming darts for you is a long-term sickness that just won't go away. These people up here today, that's difficult for the faith. That's, that's difficult when these darts stick in because you start to ask yourself, if God was good, why hasn't he taken this away yet? If God was good, why isn't this done yet? Maybe it's something at home that isn't changing. Maybe it's something at work that isn't changing and it's sticking in there and it's messing with your faith. I know that happens to me. Things stick in there. It just messes with my faith. Faith isn't something that we always feel. It's not something that always just, you know, we wake up in the morning, oh, I'm so full of faith. Man, I could move a mountain today. I'm so full of faith. Just ready to go out and heal the sick and preach the gospel. And man, I can't wait. I just love this faith thing happening to me. It, I mean, I don't know about you, but it doesn't always happen like that for me. Oftentimes I wake up and I think, man, I'm groggy. I got nothing in me. I can't give it. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to do that. <laughs> that person's sick. There's no way I have enough faith to pray for him to be healed right now. But taking up the shield of faith means taking up faith in Jesus, which means we, we remind ourselves of promises. So when we wake up, we're not feeling much faith. The thing to do is to declare faith to ourselves. No, Jesus, this is who you are. This is what you've said. I will trust in you. I don't feel like trusting in you. I will trust in you. Lord, I know this thing isn't changing, and I'm not sure why. I'm going to trust in you. This is what you've said. I'm going to stand on what 
you've said. So we have the shield of faith. The final defensive weapon that we have is the helmet of salvation. I played football in high school, and one of the things with the helmet of salvation is, you know, helmets in football, they're always kind of changing it and coming up with a new design to try and keep you from getting concussions. And I always kind of thought it's because we were doing a lot of head-on collisions and hitting each other in the head and banging our heads all over the place. That's probably why we were getting concussions and hurting our heads. But hey, I mean, if it's the design of the helmet, then we'll change the design of the helmet, right? But, but one of the things that you know in football is you keep the helmet on. You don't take the helmet off. If all these other guys got helmets on and you get knocked and you don't have your helmet on, it's going to be bad for your head. And you don't want to be walking around with, you know, head injuries because the whole body just goes to, you know, goes bad after that. And that's how it is with the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, that we belong to him, that he's chosen us, that we're his, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. We keep on the helmet of salvation. It protects us from the lies of the enemy. So we've got our defensive weapons. We've also got our offensive weapons. Paul says that shoes for our feet, which are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I know for me, the thing that marks whether I'm doing stuff when I go home at night or whether I'm just kind of chilling is whether I take my shoes off. If I keep my shoes on, I'm probably going to work and do some activities. If I take my shoes off, I'm on the couch, and that's the end of it. I'm relaxing for the night, right? So if you come to my house and you're like, hey, man, what are you doing? Look at the shoes. You'll know. (laughs) And one of my most dreaded things, I know this is pathetic, but one of my most dreaded things is when I take my shoes off and then somebody asks me, hey, can you, like, take the trash out? We're watching a dog right now. Can you take the dog out? And I'm like, the shoes are off. You know, the shoes are, I'm done for the day. And I think that's what Paul's telling us here is he's saying, hey, where's your shoes? Because we've got work to do. And these shoes given by the gospel, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, do we have our shoes on? Are they laced up? I mean, the gospel in your mind and in, in our hearts, are we ready to share it? Is it at our fingertips? Can we give, do we know it enough Do we know it well enough? Have we looked at at Jesus enough? Have we learned it enough to where we can give it away to someone if they ask us about it? Is it on the tip of our tongue? Are we ready to share it? I've been learning a lot about sports and football players, and I'm I'm in the fantasy football league, so I've been trying to do my homework. And I'm starting to get where I could say a little bit, you know, about someone, right? I can get it a bit on the tip of my tongue. Not, Not very good at it. There's some guys who are like, Man, they could rattle off to you the numbers and the quote. You know, they could tell you all the statistics you ever needed to know. It's because they've studied. They've been diligent. They've really looked at it. They've put that into themselves. With the gospel, have we put that into ourselves? We've also got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is like a double-edged sword, penetrating even to the dividing of soul and spirit. You know, if I'm going into battle, I'm not going to take a rubber knife, especially if I have a sword, right? If I have a sword, I'm going to sharpen that thing. I'm going to prep that thing. When I'm going to battle, I'm going to know how to use my sword. I'm going to have practice. Okay, if a guy tries to stab me, I know how to, you know, swing my, it's probably not how I'd do it, but (laughs) I know how to swing my sword to defend myself. If, If the word of God is the sword of the spirit, the thing that can pierce into someone's heart and show them that God loves them, that God wants them, that 
as John prayed earlier, that God's pursuing us. I want to know the word well. I want to be equipped to use the sword. And then Paul finishes with a weapon that can be used for both offense and defense. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit. This is something we can do all the time, pray in the Spirit. He says, pray for the saints, pray for boldness. And this thing about boldness that Paul says really surprised me, because if, if you know the Apostle Paul, if you've read much about his life or have heard much about his life, the guy was full of boldness. The guy was totally nuts. He, he knew going city, into, city after city, going into it, he knew he was going to suffer much. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. The guy just suffered like crazy. He was in prison for the faith, and yet he's writing to this church in Ephesus, and he says, pray for me that I would have boldness. And I think the reason that he prayed that is because as he was looking ahead to more sufferings, as he was looking ahead to more trials, as he was looking ahead to more of what God was calling him into, he knew, I've, I've got to receive more boldness. I mean, it's, it's one thing to step into the ring for one day, to say, yeah, I'll throw some punches, I'll do a good fight. It's another thing to step into the ring day after day, week after week, year after year. And, and what Paul said he needed to step into the ring He needed continual boldness from God. And he did it for the joy set before him. I know for me, I need boldness. I was at a coffee shop just around the corner this last week, and and there's this guy that um, goes to that coffee shop pretty frequently. I I pretty much know if I go in, I can see him there. And, And I've been praying for him, and I've been looking for an opportunity to just engage conversation about Jesus. And the last time we talked, we, you know, we had a good conversation just about spiritual things. And I was in there on Friday this last week, and, and I'm, I see him, and I know, okay, if I go there, we can go there, and we can have this conversation. But frankly, I was tired that day, and I just wasn't feeling up to that, you know, that conversation. So like, hey, man, good to see you. I got a lot of work to do. I'll catch you later. It's just kind of brushing it off. The, the issue was that I didn't have boldness. I wasn't living in faith. I wasn't living in the promise that, you know, Jesus wants to save his life. Jesus wants to come into his life. I was living in fear, not in boldness. Boldness can start a lot of different places. Maybe boldness for you is going public with your faith at work. Maybe no one in your office knows that you're a Christian, and the next step for you is, okay, I need to let people know who I'm following. I need to let people know what I'm all about. Maybe boldness for you is joining a community group, or if you're in a community group, being honest with the people in your group, being vulnerable vulnerable about things that you're struggling with, things that you're thinking. Maybe boldness for you is committing to financial giving. I don't know, for me, that was, a, that was a bold thing. I've got bills, I've got things to pay for, I've got, I've, I have needs, I have wants. It took boldness to say, no, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take what you've given me, and I'm going to anchor it for the kingdom. The thing that happened with Stephen is that he saw Jesus. <clears throat> he saw Jesus seated, seated at the right hand of the Father, and it gave him boldness. At the end of the story, when Stephen's being stoned, nearly stoned, it says that he looked up and he saw Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And I think when he saw Jesus, he was encouraged by Jesus. He was encouraged by Jesus dying on the cross for his sins. He was reminded that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Jesus went so that he could forgive our sins. I think when Stephen was being stoned by these men and he looked up and saw Jesus, it gave him great confidence of heart. 
It gave him faith. And also, when he looked at these men, it gave him compassion. Seeing Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, he must have known Jesus loves these men. Jesus is after these men. So as we follow Jesus, we will suffer. It's guaranteed to us. We'll, we'll maybe suffer financially. We may, we may not get that job because we didn't want to compromise our character. We may suffer relationships. I know sometimes people walk away when they know that you're all about following Jesus. We may suffer in a lot of different ways. We'll definitely suffer our time and our energy. We'll definitely suffer our preferences and just a consumeristic lifestyle. But it's not in vain. Jesus says that it's for the joy set before us. It's for the joy of knowing him. For the joy of more and more and more people coming to know him. And actually, one of the most impressive things about this to me was in the next chapter in the book of Acts, Acts 8, um, the, the author of Acts goes on to write about how this persecution of Stephen actually like springboarded a persecution in all Jerusalem and that the church in Jerusalem was persecuted like crazy and Christians scattered everywhere. And in verse 4, he says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. As you think about that, we have to think that that church, those people were influenced by what Stephen did. They must have remembered what Stephen did. And then in the midst of being stoned, in the midst of being killed, he didn't back off from preaching the word, but he looked to Jesus. He was confident in Jesus. And as they're being persecuted, as they're being beaten for the faith, as they're being in prison for the faith, they went on preaching the word. I think it points out to us that none of us live in a bubble, but our lives really do affect one another. Pastor and preacher John Maxwell, he says that the average person is going to influence 10,000 people in their life. It means you and I, if we just walk around, live, breathe, don't even try and c- compel anybody of anything. Maybe tell them, hey, Taco Bell's still good. You know, I mean, maybe that's the one thing you try and convince someone of. You're going to influence 10, up to 10,000 people in your life. That's just general average. If you're really trying to influence people, I'm sure it would be multiplied of that. So what this means is no matter how we live our life, whether we live our life in fear and timidity or we live our life in faith and boldness, we're making an influence on those around us. There's certain people in this church that I just every once in a while I have to get around. I have to get some time with them because they're people of faith. They're people who are bold in the faith. They're people who are going for God. And when I get around them, it inspires something in me. It encourages something in me. Jake and Sue Cooper, they were in the last meeting. That guy's just always preaching the gospel to his coworkers. He's just always going. Every time I talk to him, he's like, oh, we're doing a new Bible study and more guys are wanting to know about Jesus. And I'm like, dude, I wish I had your faith. I wish I had your boldness. Getting around him encourages and inspires something in me. Actually, we, we as a church, we as a people, each and every one of us, we have an opportunity to not just follow Jesus in our own life, not just be bold with those around us, but actually to influence each other. Actually, as we set examples in this, we have the opportunity to influence each other, to continue on, to continue pressing on in the face of opposition. Before we close, I just want to mention one thing I noticed in this verse. It really stuck out to me about Stephen, and it's in the first verse that we read today. The author of Acts writes, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great 
wonders and signs among the people. And it's this, it's this third word in this sentence that Stephen was full. He was full. Before he ever preached, before he ever got accused, before he ever got stoned, he was full. He was full of grace and he was full of power. And, and what this tells us, what this hints at, what this kind of, if you pull the curtain back, you can see in this is Stephen had received something from Jesus. And that's why he was able to give so much out. He had spent time with Jesus. He had known Jesus. He had spent time looking at the cross, looking at what Jesus did for him. He spent time letting the Holy Spirit refresh him and fill him with power. That's why he was able to give out grace to these men, because he had been full of grace. He had known God's grace to himself, so he could give it away to others. That's why he was able to walk in such power. That's why the sick were healed when Stephen prayed for him. That's why signs and wonders were being done because he had spent time with the one who does signs and wonders. He had been filled with this power from on high. And really for us, that's the main thing that we have to come back to today as a church. And that's the thing that for me, I'm coming back to today. I'm coming back to him. And, And we today can come back to him. If we have left, if our armor's been off, if we haven't been spending time with him, haven't been refreshed in his presence and filled with boldness, the first step for us today is coming to him, seeing him high and lifted up. As we do, he'll refresh us and he'll fill us with what we need to press on. We're pressing on as a church. We're seeing more people come to know him. We're planting this county location sometime in the next year. More people are coming to know him. It's a joy to be a part of what we're doing. It really is. It's a massive privilege to be a part of a church that's seeing Jesus in our midst. I mean, just worship this morning, seeing his presence come and be with us, but also seeing more and more people who don't know him coming home to him. Just as John prayed earlier, if, if, even if you're here today and you've yet to come home to Jesus, yet to believe in him and receive him, That's open for you today. 